Welcome to this episode of Season 4 of The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpy, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has reached over 3.5 million listeners, viewers, and readers around the world. The Common Bridge is available on the Substack website and the Substack app. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can find the program on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The Common Bridge draws guests and audiences from across the political spectrum, and we invite you to become a free or paid subscriber on your favorite medium. Well, hello. Welcome to The Common Bridge. I'm your host, Rich Helpy. We're going to have some fun today because it is the pinnacle of college football season And our guest today is John U. Bacon. He is an American journalist. He has authored books on sports and business. He's a sports commentator on TV and radio. He is a proud alum of the University of Michigan, who will be playing a game in just four short days after this airs. And extensive background in appearing on shows as diverse as NPR, ESPN, and Michigan Radio all about sports. So we're here to talk about some college ball today. John, welcome to the Common Bridge. Glad you're with us. Thank you. Good to be here, Rich. You've been around this block a few times, and I'm a big fan of college football. Everybody knew New Year's Day, don't bother me. I'm going to be spending quality time with my remote control glued to a chair for as long as humanly possible. But things have changed. We've got 40-some bowl games now, if I'm not mistaken? Oh, it's 41, 42. So basically 82, 84 teams qualify, quote unquote. If you're still standing, Rich, you're in. That's how yeah, it works. Indeed. That, that's not that great for people up in East Lansing this year, but you know, better luck next year. But the Hurons from Ypsilanti, or excuse me, the Eagles from Ypsilanti are going to play San Jose State. And good for them. And by the way, uh, Creighton at EMU has done a phenomenal job. Indeed, uh, winning eight games at EMU is not easy, and through no fault of the school, obviously, but a uh, very good school. Um, but it's been the graveyard of coaches traditionally. Uh, many good coaches have gone there and failed, sadly. Um, I don't know why a Power Five team has not picked him up, although he seems content at Eastern Michigan, and maybe he should be. So, in college ball, we're talking about now the formation of what looks like some mega conferences. Whoever would have thought that we'd see UCLA and USC in the Big Ten, some of the other alignments that are going on out there. What's the rationale behind these mega conferences? There's only one, Rich, money. And I'll say in the Big Ten's defense and USC's and UCLA's, when they Sign them to the Big Ten, of course. And now you've got 16 teams in the Big Ten. So uh, no matter its violence to geography or math, for that matter, um, no one even tried to claim this is about the student athletes or about education or about anything else. They, to their credit, all admitted it's about one thing. It's the Benjamins. And it's the TV deal, of course, which is now about $100 million per Big Ten member. So that's why Northwestern at 1-11 is making more money from TV than Notre Dame is. And that's, there you have it right there. So that was the only explanation for that. Uh, I've got mixed feelings about it. Brain versus heart. The heart says, this is crazy. I love the Big Ten. It's got, it had a geographic footprint to it that made sense. And even though the states of Minnesota and Iowa seem pretty far away, and look at a map and where the actual schools are, it's all pretty cohesive. And then, of course, and I thought Penn State was a good ad. I think Nebraska was a good ad. Those are culturally in line, I think, with the Big Ten, academically and otherwise. Then you add Rutgers and Maryland. That makes very little sense. That's mm-hmm. a cash grab for cable TV dollars. 
And this one makes even less sense, of course. We know why. It's just money. How is the money? Is it because of the Big Ten network controlling content? And so UCLA, USC can't get to that through network TV or through a similar Pac-10 TV that they've got to join something that's already established? Is that the economic behind this? Uh, partly. Um, it's basically every conference has got its own TV package deal. So it's not mm-hmm. just the Big Ten Network, although that's certainly driving it in the Big Ten's case. It's by far the most successful of the um, conference networks, not even close uh, financially um, and ratings-wise and so on. Uh, it's basically this, that uh, they've got what? They've got uh, Big Ten Network. They've got Fox that owns Big Ten. They've got CBS and NBC all in line uh, every football Saturday. So Fox goes at noon, uh, and then CBS and NB- or NBC, then CBS. And that package, the appeal of these 14 teams, is far greater than the appeal of the SEC, even, even though competitively, obviously, the SEC has been far more successful this century, 22 years now, than the Big Ten has. But Big Ten's got a much bigger footprint. It has got uh, many more alumni, many more fans. And the three biggest fan bases, according to Nate Silver, who does the 538 Project on Politics, are Ohio State at 3.2 million, Michigan at 2.9 million, and Penn State at 2.6 million. So right there are your big three. And that's why Michigan-Ohio State game like doubled the best ratings for any other game this season. So USC and UCLA want a part of that. And so... The, the heart says this is a drag and I want them in the Pac-12 and it's going to kill the Pac-12. Pac-12 is a shell now. And Washington and Oregon would love to join the Big Ten <clears throat> and they're coming begging basically. Uh, but the brain says, look, those two schools are about to spin off somewhere. And if it's not the Big Ten, it's going to be the SEC, which will make it almost almost completely dominant with Texas and Oklahoma already joining, of course. This is more than about football, though. I mean, we're talking golf, gymnastics. That's um, it. Swimming and diving. And I, I think about those kids, those student athletes that you know, you know may have to traverse three time zones, and they're not going on a charter plane like the football team. They're going to go on a commercial flight and try to make their way. A kid going from Los Angeles to State College, Pennsylvania – that's quite a commute to then perform athletically and then get back and continue your education. It just seems like the money is going to destroy the whole essence of what college athletics is supposed to be or was. It's not going to help as far as that goes. And you hit the nail on the head. And very few are talking about this. Uh, and the Big Ten sponsors more sports than I think just about any conference out there. Um, they average around 23 or 24. The SEC averages around 17 sports per school. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State lead the pack. They all have around 30 varsity programs, and those all cost a few million dollars each no matter what you're doing. Um, and then, like you said, the travel. So, okay, football actually always has the least travel of any sport in college football. So when people talk about travel, it's not football. Uh, you've got 12 games and if you're Michigan or Ohio state, seven or eight are going to be at home. Uh, it's only traveling to four or five. You, you leave on a Friday, you come back on a Saturday night. Uh, and that's, you got one night away. That's, it's not much. And it's on the weekends. Like I said, it's women's car cross country. It's softball. It's men's baseball. It's these sports that are now going to be stretched from Rutgers, basically New York, uh, to LA. And that's going to be a very, very difficult schedule going up. But I can assure you that was not a factor here. I wish they would take some lessons from professional sports. The NHL expanded, expanded, 
And then they finally had to realign because we had, you know, by way of example, a team I'm very familiar with, the Detroit Red Wings, in the Western Conference. And the scuttlebutt was that the Western Conference teams wanted the Red Wings there because that was about the only time they filled the building. And the Eastern Conference wanted the Red Wings there because they didn't want the competition when the Wings were at their pinnacle. But the travel, particularly during the playoffs, the amount of miles that that team would travel and the late night games that, you know, basically were difficult for their fan base to watch. I just see the Big Ten running right into that again. I mean, it, you know, Michigan plays USC at night in California. You know, kickoff's going to be 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night Eastern. And similarly, they're going to kick off at 9 a.m. if they're playing in Ann Arbor, if they're playing a noon game in Ann Arbor. And it just seems like people need to think this through. Too late. <laughs> yeah. Too late for that. It's already been the, – the, the, the checks have all cleared, so this is done. Um, but that was not thought through. And, again, on a football side, not that hard. Uh, you hit the nail on the head also with uh, the NHL. People don't realize this probably who are not that familiar with the travel of sports. Uh, Major League Baseball has got almost exactly twice as many games as the NBA and the NHL. But travel in the major league in major leagues is much easier than in the NHL and the NBA because you're in Chicago for three, four, five games. You're in New yeah. York for three or four games. You you set up shop for a while, two or three trips, and you come back. You're not hopping on a plane nearly as often. You're not changing time zones nearly as often. That's what they say is the killer. Whenever I talk to pro athletes and I say, what do, does the average fan not get? They always say travel. So uh, baseball, I'm sorry, basketball and hockey have it the worst. And you also hit upon this too, Rich. And I, I'm the only one, I swear to God, that I know of who's been beating this drum for the Red Wings. Man, for all the success they had for those 24 years in the playoffs, they talk about how the rules changed and the salary caps and the on-ice rules and so on about interference and so on. All that changed dramatically, and they still kept doing it. It's quite an amazing run. But no one talked about the travel. And for the Wings, man, they had by far the worst travel. Um, even though other teams were more Western than they were, um, they're the ones who were in the West all these years. That added tons of wear and tear. 82-game schedule, plus, as you say, three rounds of the playoffs in San Jose or Edmonton or uh, L.A. or wherever you're going to be. Um, that is very wearing, and they held up extremely well. Uh, asking that of a 25-year-old millionaire is one thing. Asking that of a 19-year-old uh, women's softball pitcher strikes me as another. And that's the other thing in college sports, that a lot of the recruiting for all the sports, whether it's softball, hockey, or football, one of the appeals that the coaches could make and the, and the universities could make is that, look, if you come play here, your family's going to be able to see you play. If you go to that distant school on the other coast, your family can't come out to see you play. That seems to be obviated, but again, it's using those athletes. And, you know, I'm just wondering that eventually this is just going to be another pro league and maybe even separate from the universities. Well, a few good points there as well. Uh, one guy discovered writing a previous book, Fourth and Long, The Fight for the Soul of College Football. It came out in 2013 about Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, the Midwest, basically. Um, is that it was still a predominantly regional sport 10 years ago that people from, you know, the, the coal mines of and the steel mills of Pennsylvania usually want to play for Pitt or Penn State. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the Buckeyes. They don't want to go that far because families are families. And that's where you are. Those are the teams you grew up watching. And unlike in the NFL or pro sports in general, when you're a hotshot college athlete, they draft you. 
and you got to mm-hmm. go wherever they tell you to go. The high school senior actually has the power and he can, he or she can pick their school. Um, so they tend to, so, you know, two thirds of the t- you know players on your team still probably come from within two or three States. This is going to question that. I don't think it's going to change it completely because families are still families, but you also mentioned too, when you have 16 teams in your league, how are you going to do it? All right. So maybe you just call it East and West again, but the whole point of this TV package is they want USC and UCLA to play Michigan and Ohio state and Penn state and Michigan state. Um, well, if you're going to do that, then, you know, there goes the travel thing. And how are you going to take care of Iowa and Illinois, right. and Indiana, schools like this? Um, so that's going to be a question there. And how many games can you play? It's football. So you have two divisions of eight. And what do you then have? You basically have two divisions, not a league. You have two conferences, essentially. So uh, there are practical matters here. When Michigan played Purdue over the weekend in the Big Ten title game, that was the second time in a decade Michigan played Purdue, which shows you how this is really kind of not working on some level. The rivalries are what it used to be about, and that kind of takes us into this next thing, this college football playoff, which arguably seems to be working for teams. It's a long season for those young players. And now, uh, I guess starting in the 2024 season, there's going to be a 12-team playoff. Do you know how is that designed to work? When does it start? What's it going to do to bowl season? It seems like a lot of teams in it. If it's going to be 12, it's going to end up being 16. And is the whole whole uh, season going to be a tournament? Well, I recall when they first said two, they said, no, no, we'll never do four. When they got four, they said, no, no, we'll never do eight or whatever else. And they're lying every time. So you're dead right that when they say 12, get ready for 16. Because uh, that's coming next. Because, oh, that, that's going to solve it. And the stupid, one of the arguments is so stupid, I can't stand it. That, well, you know, the fifth-ranked team is really good, and they've got a complaint. Okay, well, now it's going to be the 13th-ranked team. Right, exactly. And then, I mean, I'm sorry. NCAA basketball, March Madness. They've got 64 teams for a long time. The 65th team got screwed, so they added a 68. And now the yes. 69th team complains. I'm pretty sure the 69th team is not going to win a national title. So, sorry, <laughs> you, you're not good enough to complain about this, says me. But anyway, so... That's going to be the question there. How it works is the bottom eight of the 12 teams play each other. The higher team gets home field. So northern teams finally get a break after all these years of uh, bowl games in the south. Then the winners of those games play the uh, the top four teams, and then they'll, they'll do it in bowl sites. You'll have eight games then. They'll do it in bowl sites, of course. So, uh, or Sorry, four teams. Sorry, four games. They'll do bowls for those three rounds, basically, and call it you know the way they're doing it now. Um, Michigan's going to go to the Fiesta Bowl, but it's really the semifinal. Call it both. So, so the bowls will get their money as usual. And uh, and by the way, fourteen of these bowls are owned, owned and operated by ESPN. So it's, it's that's a vertical monopoly right there. And God bless ESPN, but that's why this all happens. That's why there's nobody in the stands, but they're still making millions. Yeah, a lot of these uh, bowl games you don't want to pan the stands. So let's just say that a northern team. Michigan State gets in as the 12th team. Well, actually, at the 12th team, they'd be ranked lower, right? But if they were in that group of 12 and ranked higher, someone may have to go into East Lansing to play them in December. That part I love, by the way, Rich. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always like those games at, at Lambeau Field, right? I, that's, that's where I was From going. the comfort of my living room where it was warm. Uh, and you see the air come out almost like ice cream. It's that thick. 
there's a reason why the Dallas Cowboys did not win the ice bowl and Green Bay Packers did. So yes. uh, they've avoided this for over 100 years, of course, playing any Northern games in December or January. That part is one sizable silver line for me, Rich. That Those games, I want to – USC, come on into the horseshoe in December. All right? So I want to see some of those games. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know if people around the country understand that in many of those stadiums, those are metal benches. Um, if you've ever had the opportunity to sit on a metal bench I know where you're going in the here. upper Midwest in December, you won't forget it. Here's the clue. Base layers, lots of layers, waterproof on the outside, hand warmers and foot warmers. You can get it from any hunting store to stay warm. People are going to tell you, oh, just drink whiskey or whatever. Don't do that because there's a long list of reasons. But among them, <laughs> you're going to have to get rid of the whiskey sometime. And it's a process when you're that well-dressed. So. Uh, it, is a, it is a process. And of course, it can also diminish your ability to fight off the cold, even though it feels good in the short run. It, so indeed. I, I, I've experienced both. Indeed. We're experienced Northern men here. So John, right now we've got a great bowl season coming up and we've got TCU playing Michigan out in the Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State getting back in by virtue of USC losing and I'm not sure what second prize is, but they get to play the Georgia Bulldogs. Doesn't seem like that great of a day ahead. <laughs> what you wish for, I guess, right? <laughs> the Buckeyes. Um, what's, your, what's your look at uh, those games? And then maybe are there any other interesting bowl games that, that you think people ought to be paying attention to? Uh, sure, of course. Uh, first of all, they, they got the right four teams. There's very little controversy this time around. Despite the last-minute juggling, of course, and – Two out of three teams uh, in line for this lost their their conference game, including TCU, of course. USC did. Uh, Michigan won theirs. Uh, Georgia won theirs, obviously. Um, so I think they got it right. I think they got the order right. There's not too many debates about this. Um, and I think Ohio State, look, uh, Michigan beat Ohio State on paper. They shouldn't have. Uh, Ohio State has got 14 five-star players, former recruits, that is, on their team. Michigan has three. Uh, now, they happen to be J.J. McCarthy and Donovan Edwards and people you need to, to carry the weight. But uh, but on paper, Ohio State should have blown them out. So the point being that they've got plenty of talent. They got out coached that day is what I saw. Uh, in a way, I, I was not fully expecting to be that dramatic, certainly. So Ryan Day's got a month to figure out uh, Georgia. I would not be surprised if that is a serious game. Uh, Michigan is playing its second best opponent of the season in TCU, the best being Ohio State. Um, but TCU has got four or five, you know, future at least, probably 10 future NHLers, or NHLers, NFLers. Uh, but, you know, including quarterback, of course, a Heisman Trophy finalist. Um, mm -hmm. They'll be challenged. Michigan is favored by more than I would expect, like seven or eight. Um, they're on, on a roll right now. But that, I think, will be a decent game as well. If it ends up being Michigan and Georgia, uh, which is what they're picking anyway, uh, Michigan already saw them last year. They won't be as flabbergasted as they were the year before. There's still a talent gap there between Georgia and Michigan. Michigan will be the underdogs, rightly, if that's the game that happens. Uh, but I think that game is now within reaching distance in a way it was not a year ago, kind of the way Ohio State is now in range for Michigan in the way they were not for almost 20 years. Where I would agree with you is that they've got the right four teams in there. Michigan, I think, is going to have their hands full with TCU. TCU is a top team. They've uh, traditionally uh, risen to the occasion. Uh, they're a great second-half team. Yeah, the overtime, maybe they, they shouldn't have gone for the touchdown and, and taken the three. Uh, who knows, but they're there, and they're, t they're, they're a tough team. I think they're going to have their hands full. 
Uh, I don't think Georgia's going to have any problem with Ohio State. And I believe in a year ago, in 21, Ohio State had a more talented team, but Michigan was the better team on the field that day. But this year, I think Michigan's game plan was better. Michigan's athletes were better. And I don't know that anyone's ever back-tested the success of five-star recruits versus a three-star. If you know, I'd love to hear about it because, you know, an athlete signing a letter of intent at 17 might be a five-star, but somebody else may be developing still. And at, you know, 22, they're a much better player. It happens every day. Well, you're exactly right. That's the growth model, which I certainly believe in educationally as well as athletically and in the corporate world as well. Um, it's not where you started, it's where you end up. And in football, especially, look, um, these are 17-year-old kids you're recruiting, you know, 18 maybe. And how long have they played, you know, contact football? Three, four, five years mm-hmm. in many cases? Uh, you're not yeah. dealing with a lot of data. And as Bo once said, he said, you know, hey, you beat up, you know, Catholic Central and Brother Rice. That's great. They're not on my schedule. Uh, we're right. playing the Buckeyes and the Spartans this year. So you're going to find those games a little different. Um, and I think that's exactly what happens. I mean, and you grow into your body. They're still developing in a way they're not in the NFL. The NFL is what you are is what you are as a rule. Um, pretty close to it anyway. Um, these guys still grow so much and develop so much literally and figuratively that uh, – Development matters. And by the way, Coach Herbert, Michigan's strength and conditioning coach, that guy has a raise coming, I think, because they've done phenomenally well out there. They pushed around the Buckeyes both years, which I was not expecting. Um, Not as dramatically this year, of course. They moved it faster, but uh, nonetheless. Um, And then you'll get the coaching. Uh, I mean, Ohio State didn't have anyone playing better than, excuse me, than Donovan Edwards was. And J.J. McCarthy, it wasn't lights out. Uh, but he made all the passes he had to make and looked as, you know, as good as Stroud did. Stroud's a hell of a quarterback. There's no question. I think J.J. McCarthy does a lot better when he's under pressure and on the run where his athleticism takes over um, versus you know, trying to contain him in his system. He's just such a great athlete. Just let him be a little bit more free. And, of course, uh, you know, it happens in sports, but you sure hate to see it happen to a young man like Blake Corum uh, not mm-hmm. getting the opportunity to compete because of uh, an injury. Oh, on top of that, if Blake Corm was healthy for Illinois and especially for uh, Ohio State, those are his runs that Donovan was gobbling up. And no knock on Donovan and Edwards because he made the most out of those things, obviously. It's hard to imagine that Blake Corm would not have gotten that on those two big ones as well as some earlier ones. Uh, it cost him the Heisman. Uh, I think he would have won it uh, based on uh, the play of, of course, the USC quarterback and uh, JT Stroud and Ohio State. Um, so... Caleb, of course, I'm talking about it at USC. Right, These right. guys both laid eggs, basically, when it mattered most, and Corm would not have. So, um, But it's a brutal game, sad to say, and that happens. You, you're, I'm at least glad these days these players have got insurance and they've already made some money. Um, it's not what they're going to make in the NFL. Uh, it's not a you know complete trade there, but it's not a zero you would have gotten five years ago. John, as we end our time here together, I'll take as much of your time as you're, you're willing to, to give me today, but... And we've talked a lot about our Midwest. We've talked about teams that we're very fond of. As you look around the bowl schedule, what do you see out there that's interesting this season? And then the second thing I'd, I'd ask you is if you had to pull out the crystal ball and say, you know, what does college sports and college football in particular look like five, ten years down the road? Mm-hmm. Are you alarmed or thinking, man, we're heading on a good path? So current bowl games, and then where are we going? Sure. The bowl games, of course, the the big four teams we already talked about. I'll be watching those. 
Uh, Penn State playing the Utah Utes in the Rose Bowl is very intriguing to me, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. That one looks like fun. Uh, quite a few Big Ten teams naturally qualified for the bowls this year. Honestly, in the Big Ten's case, the question is, can the West redeem itself? Because the West has never been the equal of the East since they divided that eight years ago. Uh, and it's never been worse than this year. Um, now, the good news for them, we've got Matt Rule going into Nebraska. Um, and you've got Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin overnight. Uh, the West just got a whole lot better, and you throw in USC and UCLA, and the West becomes competitive. But I'm always watching the Big Ten teams for these things. Uh, those, to me, are the most fun bowls. Alabama's always fun to watch. They've got a chip on their shoulder right now. I just like to watch good uh, competitive games and s- see some of the creativity. What I want to see is a good, is a, is an exciting fourth quarter. That's what I want to see as a rule. You asked me about the future of football, by the way. Let me yeah. answer that one. Um, I've been banging the warning drum for 10 years, and, of course, I don't have the voice that the NCAA listens to, but uh, but no, the more they make it, each step we're talking about here today, Rich, each step makes college football closer and closer to the NFL. And the closer you get to it, the the, the poorer the comparison is. Uh, March Madness does not compete with the NBA Finals. That's very smart not to. It's mm-hmm. only six games you got to win. They're all one-game series. It's not game seven and and of that. Uh, and now, you know, college football is getting closer and closer to the NFL, which will diminish the regular season. It already has. Uh, it'll diminish rivalries. And no sport, I think, depends more intently on rivalries than college football does. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the, one, one of the great reasons is you get one shot at your opponent, your rival, every year. That's it. You have to live with the results and either you get a year of peace or a year of misery. And no other sport features that. Um, so that's being diminished now as well. Um, and I think the, that the NIL packages, look, I, I cannot defend the NCAA the way it was. Uh, no way. $10 million coaches and guys who can't make five bucks for signing their names. That's, you know, that's pretty insane. Um, but this NIL is not going to solve the problems they're out to solve. And it's, you still have the inherent problem in both the NBA and the NHL, NFL, sorry, that you don't have a viable minor leagues. The only two sports in the world that don't have a viable minor leagues um, mm-hmm. on your way up. Baseball has it. Hockey has it for more than a century. So if you don't want to be a student and you don't think a scholarship's worth it and you want to get paid, then go right ahead. And still in the NCAA and football and basketball, you don't have that. So I think that's going to be a problem going forward. Um, we'll see where it, where it lands, but uh, I'm already seeing growing disinterest amongst fans as far as attendance goes, as far as ratings go. They've gone down bit by bit, year by year. And look, when I was going... When I was a kid in the 70s, my parents called it the $5 babysitter. Two bucks got me into a Michigan game, one buck for a hot dog, one buck for a Coke. Some friends of mine got the little plastic football. I, of course, got the program. That's how you end up being a geek who ends up writing books about this stuff. Um, five bucks, man. And I saw you know, the band. I saw them touch the banner. I saw all that stuff. And that's how you get sucked into this. I go back to games at Michigan or anywhere else these days. Uh, it's not just Michigan's problem. And I don't see almost any kids. You see clients. Because the day costs 500 bucks. It costs a day at Disneyland, basically. Um, and that, if that's not fixed sooner than later, I don't know who's going to these games in 20 or 30 years. I do see incentives for the students, and the student section is robust. So that is being carved out. But it gets to the point where if it's all about the tournament and who's going to qualify and who's going to get in, you know, then there's a team in Connecticut that people say, no, no, I'm alum of, of UConn. And I want to see the, them do well and play the, their rivals and such. They go, well, you know, we, there's no sense watching them because they're not going to be one of the 12. They're not going to the tournament. And 
that's the thing we've gotten away from. We used to, you played your rivals, select teams got to go to a bowl game. The kids got a day on the beach and a warm weather game. And maybe it wasn't quite the same thing as playing during the regular season, but it was a great experience. And then everybody could just talk about which team was better and well, my team could have beat yours and so forth. And if we strip that out of that, all we've got is another pro league. And if I'm looking at college football, I say, you know, why do I want to tie how long I get to keep a player based on the so-called academic eligibility? If I can pay that player, maybe, you know, we'll just keep him around as long as, you know, he's helping us win football games. And now you're, you've got a, a head-to-head competition with the NFL. So exactly. I mean, real interesting. you almost have it now where are you going to play the bowl game or not? Well, you know, those players get paid extra now for bowl games, the, the big shots at Alabama and so on, uh, to keep them, you know, one step away from the NFL. And you're going to have it where you get paid to come back. It's already kind of happening now, basically. So it's, uh, it's, it's weird. It's getting more and more cynical, of course. Um, Lily Tomlin, the great comedian from Detroit, uh, said, no matter how cynical you get, you just can't keep up. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of true. So, But nonetheless, I'll say this, for all the get-off-my-lawn talk from yours truly, I certainly will be watching all these games in December. I admit Absolutely, it. Absolutely. Yeah. I will be there spending quality time with my remote control during the entire <laughs> bowl season. you got a bond, Rich. you got a bond. So Indeed. So it's fun. It's been fun. I hope it stays fun. John, any closing comments or anything that you'd like to chat about that we didn't cover today? Uh, not at all. Um, you can find me at Let Them Lead by Bacon.com. That's my podcast, and that's where we sell that book as well about uh, coaching high school hockey, which is being turned into a screenplay. So we'll see about that. Great. And the name of your most current book so our audience can obtain that again. Sure. Uh, it's this one mainly, Let Them Lead, Unexpected Lessons in Leadership from America's worst high school hockey team. And it's been featured on Good Morning America, New York Times, um, folks like that. And Mary Barra at General Motors, God bless her, the CEO. Call it one of the best books that she's read. So uh, so check it out. Yeah, I, I understand that she read the book, but her hockey career was limited because she couldn't go to her left that well, but uh, and not much of, and didn't have a heavy enough shot. That's the scouting be- report anyway, yes. There you go. I'm but good be- on D. <laughs> yeah, indeed, right. This is Rich Helpy on the Common Bridge with this special holiday and college bowl season episode with John U. Bacon. Please look him up. Uh, he's extensive background, always got uh, great insight and words of wisdom. And wishing you all a happy new year. This is your host, Rich Helpy, signing off on the Common Bridge. Thanks for joining us on the Common Bridge. Subscribe to the Common Bridge on Substack.com or use their Substack app, where you can find more interviews, columns, videos, and nonpartisan discussions of the day. Just search for The Common Bridge. You can also find The Common Bridge on Mission Control Radio on your Radio Garden app.